You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and we are back with part two of our interview with Phyla Antwine. If you have not heard part one, I suggest you go back to episode 58 and start there because Phyla lays all the groundwork for this episode by delving deep into her personal story. This time around, she continues to discuss how she found love despite her personal trauma and how she evolved into being a wife. She also breaks down her path to entrepreneurship as a full-time author, speaker, and coach. And throughout our conversation, Phyla continues to drop the jewels. So without further ado, please enjoy. Phyla Antoine. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to the December 26th podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this part too, I think since before part one recording was even over um because you just came with that fire like you were very open but also weaving in the lessons um that you learned all the way that you know all throughout your process on along the way on your journey that you're now imparting into other women um which is a large part of what I want to talk about in this episode so we talked in the first uh the first part of this about your your personal journey and a lot of things you experienced you know from childhood and how that informed you as a person who you became as a person into to, you know, teenage years and young adulthood. Let's just jump and talk to who is Phyla from a professional standpoint now? Okay, so I'm a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a two-time published author. I'm a speaker. And I specifically teach powerful professional women, type A's, how to master self-care and healthy relationships so that ultimately we can create a space of infinite love in our lives where we can get to that point where we are open to what we want and what we want is able to come in. So, and that is a great elevator pitch, let me just say. So it's do what you <laughs> do. Yeah. Um And I think it is so needed. But what I want to talk about is the journey from your experiences Mm -hmm. and how they've helped you, you know, create create this brand um, to the point going from that to like maybe just being a passion of yours. Yeah. To the point where you said, no, I I can monetize this and I can make a profession out of it. Because in the last episode, we touched on your career trajectory. We talked about at the time you were working like Macy's by appointment. Yeah. So how did you make the transition? What did your career trajectory? journey look like to get from there mm-hmm. from Macy's to now Phyla the brand as a coach speaker author etc so initially growing up um I always knew that I would study law mm-hmm. and so that was the trajectory for me that was the plan for me um you know your parents kind of tell you what you're going to do based on the skills that they see so like oh she's good at arguing <laughs> or she talks a lot you know those kinds of things and so I was like yeah this works and so all up until maybe like first year in college I was sure of that I went to a high school where we had like um law debates and we went to the courthouse and all this kind of stuff and my first year in college I went away to school my parents were going through a divorce mm-hmm. it was the most horrible situation I was fine back and forth. And I think that was the first time that I started to question who I was individually, specifically around 
who I wanted to be and how I was going to create a space for myself in my own life, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and so I realized that law wasn't going to be the thing for me. And then, you know, I dropped out of college. So you can't practice law if you are a college dropout. <laughs> well, that's kind of important. Yes. <laughs> right. to, to get that degree. <laughs> and I, um, I came home and I started working to help my mom because my dad refused to like help out right. at all. So took on a part of that responsibility and really just had about a year to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. In that time frame, I started working at Macy's and I was around all of these really like badass, powerful women mm -hmm. from all walks of life. And that introduced me to the possibility of um, unlimited living, mm -hmm. right? I saw people creating things that I didn't even know existed and like making money at it and living these amazing lives. And there was even one woman who worked there who, she worked there before me. She came back to visit one day and everybody was so enamored with her. And I'm like, oh, who's that? And they're like, oh, that's, you know, Kathy. She used to work here. She met her husband. He's like a multi-billionaire and now she stays home and takes care of the kids. Now she's not working at Macy's. So. Right. And I was like, oh, that that can really happen. Mm -hmm. So being in that space um, really influenced me heavily. And I had all this like girl power around before it was cool. Mm -hmm. And then I was in this transitional space. And so I just started thinking about who I was, what I wanted to do, what legacy I wanted to create. And the one thing that kept coming up for me was the support that I had always gotten from the women in my family and how pivotal their support had been in my well-being throughout all of the trauma and all of the experiences. And at some point I realized I wanted other women to be able to feel that too. I didn't know how, but I wanted to contribute to creating that type of legacy for women. And then ultimately, you know, there are things that you're always good at naturally mm -hmm. that sometimes you run from. Absolutely. That sometimes you run from. And so just giving myself the space to be honest about who I am, what I'm good at, what I really want to do, opened up a lane. And then I started reaching out to the women in my network, like, hey, I'm interested in speaking or this is what I'm doing now. I'm writing this book, et cetera. And so we fast forward a few years into um, my marriage. I was working good job, you know, good benefits, good salary, et cetera. But I was miserable. Right. We right? all know that story. Like panic attacks before going to work. Um, and we're in New York, so we take the subway. Mm -hmm. I had to stop taking the subway to work because the smells, the noise, everything. And I've always been a very sensitive person, right? Very empathic in so many ways. And because I was in a space where I wasn't emotionally happy, all of those things, it was almost like nails on a chalkboard to right. me. So I started driving into work and nobody drives to work. Here. I was about to say, like, <laughs> where in New York were right. you driving to work? Who's doing yeah. that? Paying for parking every day. Right. Okay. So just for the benefit of our listeners who don't live here. Okay. Let's help them understand what that means. Where was your job located? Um, we were in, well, we were actually in Long Island City. Okay. Which is in Queens, but it's like A little steps. better. A little right. better than like having to drive to work in Manhattan. Teeny bit. Mm -hmm. Teeny bit. It's like two steps from Manhattan. And it's super industrial. Um, and all of the big brands and companies were moving to Long Island mm -hmm. City. But there still was no parking. <laughs> it was like you would have to find a lot to park in. 
have a pair of comfortable <sighs> shoes to walk to work in. Um, it was at least three, four city blocks, and that's really like probably 10 regular blocks. Exactly. Yeah. Every morning, crowds of people, tons of traffic, everything. But I just could not, I needed some peace. I could not do the subway anymore. And it's not cheap to park. Anywhere no, in New York. No. Let's just make that clear. I know people who pay $500 a month yes. to have a parking space yeah. near their office. So, Oh, and let's be clear. Long Island City is still like on the rise. So mm-hmm. this wasn't even like a covered parking <laughs> lot. <laughs> you were at one of the janky joints? Yes, because it was the only thing available. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm not going to do the train because I need some peace before I get there. Um, and then I would like literally have crying fits in the car while driving. That bad. That bad. So how long were you in that position? Literally and figuratively. So I was with the company for about seven or eight years. It didn't get bad until after I had my first son. Okay. My first child, who's my son. So um, parenthood is different, right? And it can make you aware of yourself in a way that when you don't have children, just you're oblivious to. Um, And so leaving my son with others to care for him while I went somewhere to make money to pay the others who were caring for him was just, it was heart-wrenching for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started. And it may have been like a little postpartum depression, but it wasn't um, early on. I stayed home with him for like 10 months. And then when I went back to work, I would go in the bathroom at least once a day and cry. Like, eh, you know, I'm a horrible mother. And mm-hmm. what? Which I think a lot of judgment. mothers struggle with. Yes. And so that's when it started. So I was in the position on a steady decline probably for about three years. For about three years. And there was conflict with my director um, who was misogynistic and disrespectful to the women in the office. And, you know, there was a consensus like, well, if the men can do it, why can't you? And it was guised as this, like, I'm not sexist because if the men can do it, you can do it too. But, you know, it was it was problematic. And so that pressure and that stress, it just became too much. And I went home to my husband one day and I said, hey, (laughs) I'm not going to make it here. Mm -hmm. Like something has to change. And I had been saying it for a while, but I was really at a breaking point. And I expected him to either like not say anything or to say to me, like, this is New York. This is life. This is what we do. This is what we do, right? This is what we do. And he said, okay, I get it. And I don't exactly know how we're going to make it work. But you take the time that you need to take. And I am going to close up the loose ends. Girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I felt that yes. in a deep place. So he said, I am going to close up the loose ends. Yeah. So when you decided... I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. There was no like your life wasn't financially set up that you could live off one income no, at that point. Ma'am. We were barely living off two incomes. Wow. Yeah. Like you, you're doing everything that you need to do. But there was no nest egg. There mm-hmm. was no cushion for like everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We were we were going to have to pull from savings in order to keep ourselves afloat. And so when he said that to me, it because I had no expectation. It was just me being emotional and dramatic in the moment. Like I'm being impacted, of mm-hmm. course, but I I've always been a little bit of a drama queen. So there was no expectation of him actually receiving what was underneath that. And so when he said that to me, it's 
stopped me in my tracks also. And how long have you guys, had you guys been married at this point? Um, so that was in 2011. So we had been married for a year and a half or a year and a couple months, but we had been together for like eight years. Okay. So you had some time in, not as a married couple, but you know, you yes. built a solid foundation. But interestingly, oftentimes what causes a tipping point in relationships, not and not for the better, is the money piece. Listen. Right. Financial expectations change. Um, you're now this man's wife. So, you know, he is head of household, but I, I think sometimes there's that tension when the woman's like, oh, I want to stay home now. And that's not what the arrangement was. And yeah. if you know, the money's not there for that. So do you think that, so you had no expectation that he would say, okay, you can go, like right. you can leave. Like he called my bluff. So at that point, did you underneath, do you really think you had the courage to leave? Um, I think I had the courage to leave, mm -hmm. but I don't think that I was prepared to just be someone's wife. Ah. So that was where, like, everything kind of started getting a little mixy for me. Because when he said that, it was like, oh, what does that actually mean now? Like, who would I become? Very independent, raised in a family of women, right? Very strong, have endured, have made it through. We don't need men. They're here, and that's great, but you don't need them. Right. It's cool <laughs> it's that cool, you're around. Right? But you don't need them. Um, and most of them are no good anyway, mm -hmm. right? That narrative, that right. tape is always playing. Exactly. And so now it's like, can I really trust this man with this part of my life and who do I become if I don't have a profession and you know what is my role going to be and all of those things but I was so emotionally drained and fed up that I was willing to try that on okay so what did that look like in like the first few months of you're not there so maybe alleviating anxiety as it relates to or pain as it relates to a job that you hate mm -hmm. but now there could be a different kind of anxiety from like losing your sense of professional identity so in those first few months how did you both adjust so those first few weeks were just about me like breaking down every day got it okay <laughs> right purging getting rid of the masks seeing who I was underneath this thing and that thing and this thing um and the those those months were rough they were rough because here's the truth of the matter I had never been taught how to be a wife mm. so I was winging it and now you're like home, home full time because you kind of wing it if you have a job because right. it's like, oh, we're both working. Yes. We don't subscribe to traditional roles like what have you. Yes. But now you are 100 percent stay at home wife and mom, which is a very hard job, right. way harder than like those of us, I think, who have never lived it. No. Yeah. OK, so you had been winging it. But now you're in this house mm -hmm. with this with this son full time and a husband who's out there trying to make it happen right. so that you don't have to work. Right. And so I didn't understand <clears throat> that there were like new parameters mm -hmm. around our relationship. My husband comes from a very traditional family. So one of the first memories I've had I have of going to visit him at his parents home was his mom bringing his dad's food over to him while he sat in his big chair. And I was like, you're looking like um, he doesn't he, he can't, can't walk. And I'm like, oh, I would never. Mm -hmm. I was very judgy. I would never. This is very old school. We don't do this. And so he came from that space. I didn't realize that by saying to him, I'm going to give you this responsibility, he expected me to now take <laughs> oh. on that role. We didn't have that conversation. Um, and so those first year was rough. One first full year. First full year. It got easier. But when I say, like, I was hardcore. I don't need you. So wait. 
Hold on, pause, time out. This man told you, yeah. if you want to leave this job, you can do so. We will figure it out and I will, you know, gather up the loose ends. You leave. So now you you are not an earner in the house, but you are contributing and investing. I want to make that clear, yes. you know, in other ways. But you're still looking at him like, I don't need you. Right, right. And how was he responding <laughs> in all of this? He he he's not um he wasn't previously very expressive. Mm-hmm. So he was just taking it in. Right? And I'm like, this is my time to figure it out. I don't have time to cook and do these other things. I have to figure it out. What am I going to do? Um and so that was what happened. And a lot of it like I said was an emotional shedding mm-hmm. that was occurring. Uh so we went through that and then I would I would cook, but it wouldn't always be ready like when he was coming home and because I'm online, I'm researching, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how I can reinvent myself. I'm looking at my experience and expertise and how can I package this to do something? Because really my goal was like to figure it out for six months or so and then go right back, get back out mm-hmm. there and do something. But life doesn't work like that. Uh, and so we we fussed and we argued. My husband is not a yeller. He's not an arguer. So he'll say what it is. And I think because he is not like constantly saying things, when he does say something, it really stings. It, it cuts. Mm-hmm. It really does. It really does. And I thought I was a great wife. So when he would say something to insinuate that I wasn't, instead of being able to accept that and adjust, I held on to that resentment. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you saying that I'm not this and that? Um, so it took us some time to work through that process. And we did. And I, I have to be completely and totally honest. And I said this to my husband. I don't know if I could have been as good a wife to you in that situation as you were a husband to me. That's commendable that you said that. And for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because women, we just don't like to admit when we're wrong. Right. right? <laughs> but also... There's always this narrative that we have to grow men up and we've got to like mold them into a good husband. And, you know, men are inherently selfish and, you know, all of these things. And so many of them are, quote, no good. Right. You know, they say that women, you know, mothers raise love their daughter, love their sons and raise their daughters. daughters, right? Right. And now here you have a situation where he really stepped up and sort of filled the gap. In a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. not just financially, um, while you sort of grew into your role at home and then for you to admit that, you know what, you handled that better than I did, I think just speaks to how evolved you are, even even, you know, what we're all still evolving, right, how evolved you are as a woman, especially as a black woman. Yes. Yes. That was intentional. Mm -hmm. Right. That came from conscious growth. And it came from me taking a look at who I was and where I came from and the legacy of all of these amazing, strong, powerful black women that I have come from. But taking a look at their cracks Mm -hmm. and recognizing that I had those cracks as well and seeing what the trajectory of my relationship and my life could be and could become. And again, it just went back to me wanting to be a stand for other women by being a stand for myself. Yes. Right. And um, he, my husband taught me how to be a wife. My husband taught me how to be a wife. Yeah. (laughs) That is deep. It is. It is. Like I, I would cook, clean up the house. My mom, I, I think I mentioned um, in the part one that she comes from a family of 11. Yes. And there were eight women. And all they do is clean. <laughs> you can eat off of floors and bathrooms and everything. So for me, I'm here. I'm faithful. I'm loyal to us. I take care of the children and I keep the house clean. Mm-hmm. That is the perfect wife. 
but I wasn't looking at the areas where we were disconnected, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that was powerful for me to recognize that. So you have this recognition in your own yes. personal relationship around the same time you're, you're reinventing yourself. Mm -hmm. So how did that those worlds sort of merge and how did you build your brand, you know, after that first year yeah. um, to what it is today? So I, I came to the conclusion that I did not want to work for someone else. Mm -hmm. I wanted to become self-employed and I wanted to take on the beast of entrepreneurship. I formed a company with two of my very best girlfriends and I was like creative director and it was fashion based okay. because that was what I knew. Um, and one of my really, one of my very best girlfriends, her name is Ebony. In one of our conversations when this thing was like on the demise, like, yeah, this is not going to work. We had a conversation and she's like, what do you really want to do? What, like, what do you want to do? Um, and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I should have another baby. Okay. <laughs> you give me a couple pause moments. I'm sorry. Because we've, now, we've discussed how yes. you're, you, know, you had fear around just your identity being just a wife and a mother. Mm -hmm. And because you couldn't figure out what you wanted to do professionally, you said, maybe I should have another baby. Maybe I should have another baby. And when I think about it now, what it really speaks to is um, the necessity of purpose, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, as a woman, I think my default was, if I'm not figuring it out over here in any way, then I at least need to start stepping into this purpose in this space, as far as becoming a better wife and being a better mom and all of that. Um, and we decided to have another baby, but during the process, of having my daughter, it was like personal development on crack. Mm -hmm. So many things came up. And when I found out that it was a girl child, now it was like, oh my God, what message am I going to give to her? How do I speed up this process of this legacy building, et cetera? And in one of those conversations with my girlfriend, Ebony, she said, you know, you've always been the one who has spearheaded everything for us. And you've always been the one that we're able to come to and get sane information, sane advice. And I found it interesting that I didn't have a network to go to of other women who were able to give me that kind of advice. And I was like, oh, maybe I should work on honing this skill that I have and creating that space. And I started there and I said, I'm going to write a book about my story. Okay. And it's going to empower women. And I started writing it and was maybe like 100 pages in, shared it with some close friends. They were like, oh, this is good. Like, it's juicy. You're spilling all the tea, which I'm sure they didn't say that back then. <laughs> but that was, you know, the consensus. And I read it back and I was like, this is not the feeling I want to give to readers. So what feeling do you think it was eliciting in, in that form? It was um, it was just very heavy. OK. Right. And it was coming from this place of trauma. And again, I was still shedding. So I was shedding and I was purging. And that's great for me. But that's not what I wanted to give to other women. So while they would read the book and there would be some things that might, might make you like, ooh, ah, this is juicy. I didn't feel like it was going to make them close the book and be more empowered, mm -hmm. feel better about themselves, help them in their personal lives in any way. And so then I started writing a different book. And that became the first book that I published, which is Strengthening Her Essence, A Woman's Guide to Liberation Through Truth. Because I was going through this phase of becoming a new me and being honest and open with myself about what all of that meant. So let's delve. I want to do two things. I want to delve into creatively what the book was about. Okay. And then also how you leverage that book yeah. to grow your business as well. So let's start um, with Liberation Through Truth. What does that mm -hmm. mean? So it's really just about operating in your authenticity. Um, and I think we hear that word a lot. 
you know, be authentic, be authentic, be authentic. And what does that mean? Some of us don't know what it means because we have been operating inauthentically for so long. Mm -hmm. And so that book was about me recognizing, number one, that the thing that has impacted me most in my life have been my relationships, my relationships with women and my relationships with men. These women that I've come from who have groomed me, this husband who's taught me now how to be a wife and given me this opportunity, my friendships that I have. And so I started to think about that concept and realized that we experience life through our relationships. And I was like, you know, it's really interesting because the quality of your your relationships eventually becomes the quality of your life. Absolutely. And then it was like, huh, does everybody know that? Are we operating in that awareness? No, I feel like you should say it again. (laughs) Yes. The quality of your relationships will eventually become the quality of your life. Start passing the offering plate. Right? Where's DeMarcus? Because <laughs> Violet is starting, starting with these quotables. Okay, That's continue. Right? <laughs> yes. um, and so I was like, yeah, had I not had these types of relationships with women, maybe I would be in a very different place based on what I've experienced. Had I not had this relationship with my husband, I wouldn't even be in this space now to be rediscovering myself. But I didn't have these relationships with my best friends, you know, all of that. And so I started really writing about the connection between wellness, overall lifestyle, and relationships. Okay. And that's how it started. Um, And it was really about, like, who would I be without these relationships? And then, who am I underneath all of this stuff? Mm -hmm. And so in the first chapter, I really started talking about the different characters that we play. And that came about from another conversation with a girlfriend who she was like, I I think this is great. She's like, you know, it would be great if you could create, um, like, specific sort of character traits where, where we could identify ourselves. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Like, I can break it down. I can do that. And you have these characters in the first chapter. So you're reading it and immediately you're drawn in because you see yourself somewhere and you may see yourself in all of them. But, you know, there's like Miss Independent, Mm -hmm. who's very me. And underneath that need to be independent really is insecurity and fear. Absolutely. 100%. Right. Yes. Um, And then there's like um, Miss Perfect and everything has to look a certain way because at the end of the day, you don't really feel like you're enough as you are. And so you're packing on all these things. And I went into that and with the relationships and said, you know what? I'm going to create a guide for women who look like me, who love like me and who come from where I come from. And I don't think a 200 pager is going to work for them. I think I need to create something that is going to leave out the fluff, shoot straight, and deliver the information in a really simple way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's going to care or buy this, but this is what I'm compelled to do. And I wrote that book and I self-published it. And that was an arduous process in itself. And then I reached out to the women in my network who had access, access to schools, access to organizations. This is the book. This is the platform I'm building. If you have any room anywhere for me to come in, just let me know. No fee, no nothing. I traveled around the city. I spoke for free for a year. A whole year. An entire year. And there may have been like one or two paid things Mm -hmm. in the space, but for the span of the year, it was just about building the relationships. Um, And that's what I did. And that's what created the initial platform for my brand. So from the... Because I just want to add all this time yes, up yes. and take it back to, to your hubby as well. Yes. So from the time you left and adding that that time with the first year where you're trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and then the fashion-based business and that didn't quite work to now writing the book and speaking, you know, for a year primarily for free. How much time was that in total? Um, let's say. So that was, it was about two years. Two years. Okay. Yes. And all that time, he's still, quote, 
gathering up the loose ends. He is. And, you know, I, I went through savings mm-hmm. for what I needed to, to do. I couldn't say like, oh, can you give me the money to publish, publish my book? Publish your book, yes. Too. So I paid for my things, mm-hmm. but he covered the mortgage. He covered the maintenance. Um, we were in a co-op at the time. The mortgage, the maintenance, the lights, the gas, all that kind of stuff. Maybe I like bought the food and little incidentals and took care of my stuff. And our son was in private school at the time as well. And he maintained private school tuition throughout that process. So what were you going through internally? Because there is a a subset of women whose fathers were present Mm -hmm. and amazing Mm -hmm. who, you know, you know, and you know, that started, it started like that for you and things changed, but they had that experience growing up. So they'll hear this and say, that's what men are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to them, that's not going to be anything out of the ordinary. And they're able to receive that. But right. there are a lot of other women who are very independent, grew up under the tutelage of very independent women and a don't even know how to receive that mm-hmm. or have a fear that it comes with control yeah. or some other byproducts that they don't want to deal with. So what was the internal dialogue for you as someone who was inherently an independent person during that period where you're building and you're pulling, pulling from savings to do your thing, you know, but this man is really holding it down Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. So there was an enormous internal conflict going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I should be clear, in the beginning of my childhood, my dad was also there. And he was the primary breadwinner. So I I understood that that was the role of men Mm -hmm. as far as in my life, right? Um, And so it was also one of the reasons why... You know, it was cool to have the men around because they (laughs) took care of these financial portions and stuff like that. But when it came to emotions or other things, there were issues. But then... I also had the awareness of being in a, a single parent household after that fell apart and seeing my mom have to do and me deciding I'm not going to be like that mm-hmm. and I'm going to be able to do on my own. Um, so I think I was able to understand both spaces, but I didn't have a deeper awareness of what I was going to be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so there was all this internal conflict because a part of me was like, this is your husband. This is a safe space. Right. You can relax. And then there was another part of me that was like, girl, don't do it. Don't do it. Because as soon as he's going to try to control you and he's going to try to tell you. And, you know, Christmas, I remember his dad said to his mom, like all these things were coming up. And I was just like, oh, so there was an extreme amount of conflict going on. And that's why there was so much conflict in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I was fighting myself. Right. But uh, deflecting through him. And so I was upset and resentful of the fact that he was in a position that made me feel subordinate to him. That is deep. Mm. The fact that you can verbalize that. Now. Yeah, now. (laughs) But resenting someone for doing this amazing thing, thing. giving you the time and space to figure it out and like dealing with whatever emotional combative things were going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But resenting them because they were in a position that made you feel less than. Because they were helping me. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of that came from, uh, you know, I say, I think that everyone, but women especially. And when you come from a family of women, there is like this committee that lives in your head. (laughs) Always the peanut gallery. Yes. And so it's like, what are they going to think without um, consciously recognizing that that's what's happening? Mm -hmm. So where I'm like, you know, this is a great situation and a great opportunity for me. um, And he's a wonderful person for doing this. Then there are the like, but nobody's ever done this before. 
right? Why are you doing it this way? Everyone else has done it the other way and it's worked for them and they haven't had to rely and they haven't needed and they Mm -hmm. haven't put themselves in this position. So why are you doing it? And so a part of me felt like I was letting the women in my family down um, and I felt like they would judge me because if it were someone else, I probably would have judged them. Right. Giving them the side eye. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like you doing what? Staying home and what? You know, and I wasn't, um, I didn't know at that time really what it took to stay at home and like keep it together. So there was all of this mess going on internally. And then I was almost like emotionally vomiting on the situation mm-hmm. because I didn't know how to manage my emotions. But what's so interesting is that you're, you're having a trouble managing your own emotions but you're out speaking and yes. talking to women about being liberated well that truth. was before okay that, yeah, that was so before so that. you worked some of that out definitely okay and then yeah. so you have the book now I'm sure you're feeling more comfortable but not necessarily because I think that's a process right not necessarily a hundred percent settled in that where was the tipping point um and when I say tipping point I mean when you got to the point where you were like, okay, I can make this work Mm -hmm. from a business perspective and we can make this work as a couple after that first year Mm -hmm. of speaking primarily for free. So after that, like first year of building relationships Mm -hmm. and and things starting to pick up, right. Um, my son came home and had a conversation with friends at work. I'm sorry, friends at school. And the kids, I guess, were talking about what their parents did. And he's like, oh, my mom wrote a book. And there was this sense of pride Mm -hmm. that he had around that. And I remember that that was one aspect of it. Then I remember dropping my son off at school. So a lot of it was around parenthood. Like I said, parenthood makes you see things differently, see yourself differently. differently. Um, And so I would go to drop him off and I would remember the feeling I had when I was working and it was like very frazzled and there was so much anxiety and so Mm -hmm. much stress. He has to get there on time and then I have to get there on time and then I'm leaving him. And so there were days where I would take him to school and I was able to chat with the teachers. I was able to check in. Um, If something happened and he forgot lunch, I was able to bring it. And in the space of that, my husband started a business also, like on the side. Okay. Um, And he's very different from me. I'm going to start it and try it and see. He's not going to start until all the pieces are in place. So it was sustainable almost from the very beginning. And it was like an apparel company, urban Mm t-shirts, hats, and things like that. Um, And we both just started talking about the fact that we were doing something we had never seen before and how that was going to impact our son at the time. And I was pregnant with our daughter and like, wow, that's going to be really cool for them to grow up in this environment. Right. And it's going to cut through a lot of the clutter for them because they have an example. We're figuring out and we've never really seen it. So there are some, you know, some hills and valleys. But for them, it's really going to be great. And that, for me, changed my entire perspective around around it. And in that space, somewhere in that space, I recognized that I was living a dream. Mm -hmm. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. But I was doing something that I had wanted to do. I wanted to figure it out. I had the space and time for that. I wanted to create this business and that was budding. I wanted to build this platform and these things were happening. And so I 
recognized that had it not been for him saying, I'm going to allow you to, I'm going to give this to you, that none of those things would have happened the way that they did. And that really completely changed my perspective. So I want to behavior. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I want to put a pin there. I do want to continue on your professional journey and like yes. where you are today and your offerings. But what do you say to the woman who wants relationship, wants marriage, wants family, but has built this life and has had to be mm-hmm. the everything, you know, the, the breadwinner, she's the empath to her friends, she's the giver and she's pouring and pouring and pouring out and desires, mm-hmm. you know, a, a spouse and, and someone that allows her to, you know, take a back seat sometimes or play co-pilot, but also has that inherent insecurity and fear yeah. underneath and may not even realize it yet, but you know it when a man shows up, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a prospect or as a good, you know, solid candidate, and then the tape plays. Right. This can't be who he really is. Oh my God, he's probably abusive underneath it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel weak. I don't need nobody to take care of me. Why is he so pressed? You know, all mm-hmm. the things that we say. What do you say to the woman that that is having that that internal struggle? Um, I would first let her know that that is normal Mm -hmm. based on where she comes from and what she's experienced. And it's common, right? But I would challenge her to ask herself why, right? It's all about the why behind the what. So here's what I'm doing. Here is what I'm investing in. Here is what I'm studying, right? Here's what I'm accomplishing and what I'm building, But why? Why am I doing these things? Am I doing this because I love it? Mm -hmm. Am I in this particular career because it can really make a difference and I want to make an impact? Or am I trying to build a fortress around my fears? A fortress around my fears. That's that's another good one. (laughs) And I think that, you know, just sitting in a space of self-reflection to ask ourselves why we behave the way that we do opens up a space for... um, really deep, deep, deep awareness, deep awareness, because once you recognize why you're in a position to make a choice, Mm -hmm. do I want to continue to operate in this space or do I want to do something differently? And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't accomplish and that you shouldn't do, but it shouldn't be fear-based. It shouldn't come from that place of insecurity, right? It shouldn't be about protecting that that young girl who was hurt 25 years ago. It shouldn't be about, like for me, it shouldn't have been about me not wanting to be my mother mm-hmm. because that is counterproductive. Whatever it is that we fear and that we run away from is just going to show up in more spaces. Absolutely. So I would really say to just ask yourself why you are living life the way that you are. And... I just had this like epiphany moment um, because I think often, you know, women, they on they're on this path to achieving, building that fortress. And then when it doesn't do what you intended it to do, when it doesn't fill the void, mm-hmm. then it's like, I got to get married. I, I got to find a husband. Right I, now. I, so yeah, right now. And then when you don't have that living in this state of despair or like desperation and feeling inadequate across the board. And this is why I'm like always talking about, you got to figure out how to be enough, even if that person doesn't show up, yeah. but it's all of this outward validation. And when you get the career and you get all those things and you check those boxes and you still don't feel enough, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, it must be because I haven't checked the wife box right. or I don't have a a, a spouse that really cares for me mm-hmm. or dotes on me in the way that I think that he should. Um, and not realizing that if that void is inherent, that's not going to fix it either. Right. And uh, your story, I think highlights that in that this great patient partner who was patient from the beginning mm-hmm. and really 
help to shine a light on some things that you had to deal with. Um, but even in that process, you're still having resentment. And, it's, and let's be clear, he's a human being. Yes, of course. He's, right? he's yes. got his own flaws. <laughs> right. we, we know that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm sure he's gone through his own evolution and, and what have you. But in comparison yes. Yes, <laughs> to some yes, of the folks that are out there, yes. right, um, helping to build a solid foundation with you. And I just think it's important to touch on, you know, for women, figuring out how to fill that void and mm-hmm. unpack all of that stuff without all of these outward things, yeah. you know, outward job, the man, the this, the that. Because if you don't deal with that, like you said, it's just going to show up. It's mm-hmm. going to continue to show up just in different forms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to mutate mm-hmm. and get bigger and expand. And it's it's so interesting because the women that I work with are primarily professional women, mm-hmm. like very powerful professional women who are willing to work hard at what they want. Yes. But when it comes to relationships, there is not the same level of intent in building it. Right. Sometimes because we feel like if we create and build all these other valuable things, mm-hmm. that relationship aspect will become less valuable to us. And that yearning will go away. Yes. Right. And then other times it's because, like you said earlier, just that fear of doing it. Um, and so here's something that I found really interesting. I had a conversation with a, a, a colleague or someone I know professionally who is not a black woman. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how educated black women are and how black women are starting businesses. And she was speaking from the perspective of like, I admire you guys for being able to do all these things and like being able to do it on your own. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's a very nuanced conversation. Mm -hmm. So just I I hear you and that kind of thing. And she's like, you know, hmm, I don't think I could ever do that. Like I went to school and great and she has a master's in whatever. But ultimately she was a stay-at-home mom. Wow. And that conversation, and I've had multiple conversations that are similar, and those conversations really opened my eyes to something. And, you know, some women may or may not agree with me, but from my personal and professional experience, and at this point I've worked with hundreds of women, right? We often have a deep desire to be naturally feminine. Mm -hmm. But because of our conditioning, we take on this masculine dominant role, which causes conflicts when you want to be in a relationship with a masculine man, because now you're competing in your masculinity. But then we are either afraid to take off that mask of masculinity, or we've gotten so stuck in it that we no longer know how. And we ask ourselves the questions about relationship. Why do black men choose other women? Why do black men prefer other women? And I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that we can start having a conversation about how we can be more authentic with ourselves and with our partners when we are in that space. Yeah. And I think, you know, the beauty of this show and the network that we've built is that we know a ton of black men with black women, right? So now there's this idea that like yeah. black men don't want black that's, women. But that's and the narrative. Yeah, that's right? the narrative that has been created. And I'm sure there's a subset. I've met some of them too, but I know yeah. plenty of, of black men who adore black women. Yes. For sure. Yes. But I do think we need to explore this idea of femininity. Right. And the ability to separate in a sense who you have to be out in the world mm-hmm. and who you may need to be in your relationship, right. you know, especially because I think we want 
strong men. Of and course, we want yeah. men who will be able to be like head of household and, and masculine provider and stand alongside us or what have you. Um, and I, this is something, I mean, in the complete transparency that I've had to explore, you know, as, as someone who's very driven and very ambitious and, you know, has a stressful career and has, you know, grew up in a single parent home and same thing, just yeah. strong women who, yeah. for one reason or another, life happened and they had to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, I'm not saying that it's easy to make that switch. And I'm sure you aren't either. Not like where it's like, not okay, now all. I'm just going to turn that off and be this feminine, you know, soft being. And I, I think it's, it's twofold getting comfortable you know, doing it and getting rid of this concern that you're going to come off as weak because femininity and weakness are not one and the same. Not at all. And I feel like they've been conflated into that. Oh, like if you're feminine, then you're helpless. Absolutely. And that's not the case. Absolutely. I totally, 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 totally agree. Um, and I, I bring that up and I think it's so important because when we are not operating authentically, right, we are repelling those potential perfect partners from us. Mm -hmm. So the people that you're drawing into your life and drawing into your space are really going to fit into the negative narrative that you've created for yourself. Absolutely. So it's not until you're able to take off all those masks and take off um, the burdens that you're carrying where you can even make room for those potential people who could be a good fit to even come in here. And yes, there will still be conflict with those people Mm -hmm. because you're working through your process. Right. And I think it's important to seek professional help. Right. To get a mentor, get a coach, see a therapist, read some books. But you have to step outside of yourself sometimes. And so that you're not only hearing your internal voices. And I think, too, it's important. I mean, I'm not the expert here, but I think it's it's, it's important but as well. A woman, a woman <laughs> yes. has lived. Right. Like to not feel like you need a placeholder while you're doing all that. Because I've, I've seen that, too, where women know they need to do the work, but they're afraid to be sit alone in that. Yes. So they have this person that's not loving them the way that they need to be loved. They're fitting the narrative Mm -hmm. that they've been spewing off about how men don't do X, Y, and Z, doesn't know how to step up and be a man. I'm, you know, I'm carrying everything. I've got to be the emotionally mature one. I'm also providing stability to us. But they're afraid to let that go and do the unpacking and do the work to be ready to receive without somebody else who's not right for them standing alongside them. Where do you think that fear of being alone comes from? Um, It comes from, I think it comes from a few places, right? human beings need contact with Mm -hmm. other human beings. So that's first and foremost. But when there are underlying unresolved issues, if no one else is here, it's just me and my mess. It's just me and my thoughts, right? It's just me and my baggage. And so I either have to decide I'm going to clean some of this out. I'm going to go through this or I'm going to get a placeholder. I'm going to have something just fill this spot for now. I'm going to have something to distract me because it's not just about acknowledging what happened to you or acknowledging what you experienced or acknowledging whatever has occurred. When you're moving through the space of healing, you have to relive those experiences. Mm -hmm. And if it was painful the first time, I don't want to deal with it again. And what I have personally seen happen with some women is that they don't make it past a certain point in the healing process and they get stuck in those traumatic experiences Mm. again. 
So I think a lot of the fear comes from feeling the pain and the hurt again, because that is going to make you feel weak. It's going to make you feel like you failed in some way. It's going to make you feel like you're back in that space, right? For me personally, there are things that trigger emotions that go back to my experiences. And so I am really big on advocating for myself. So if I feel like someone is trying to take advantage of me, right, or someone's trying to play me, they're like, girl from Queens starts to come out mm-hmm. and I have to check her. Even in situations where that is maybe happening, I still have the tools to advocate for myself. And so I think that that's similarly how other women feel. I wasn't able to do for myself then, so I never want to feel that exposed. I never want to feel that weak. I never want to feel that vulnerable. But vulnerability is part of the growth process. 100%. Right. And once we become more comfortable with that, I think that we will be more comfortable being in those spaces where our past is is replaying, mm-hmm. but we'll be able to deal with them from the present moment. So not like moving back in that emotional space, but being able to see it and then alter it from where we are now and who we are now. But that's hard work. Yes. And so it's easier to just fill the void with the body, with the person, even if that person is not ideal, right? And it makes us feel good to be right, even when the right is about a wrong. See you. Violet just drops the drops the gems, <laughs> baby. Okay, but that's true, yes, right? That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in this relationship and it's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? I knew they were no good. I knew that I would have to do for myself. I knew. I knew. I knew. I don't have to come out of my comfort zone. I can continue the narrative and I can say to myself, you're right. This is why we have to keep living like this. You're right, girl. And that is satisfying in and of itself. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you actually, that's a great lead into my next question, talking about the narrative and the committee. Yeah. Because often women get into conversations and they co-sign this. Mm -hmm. So one person starts and then somebody else says the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. When somebody's trying to change their thoughts and their patterns and their feelings, but they're surrounded by a village, be it their elders, you know, relatives, women who they've seen go through this or their friends surrounded by people who are not there yet. Yeah. How do you navigate that without isolating yourself from your community of women as well? So one of the things that I've learned is that you do not have to tell your folks everything that's going on in your head. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we feel like if we're not telling them how we're feeling at every step of the process, that we're not being honest or loyal or something. But you have the right to preserve some of yourself for yourself, right? So you want to work through things emotionally, mentally on your own for a little while, and you want to take a step back. So it doesn't mean that you totally isolate yourself from the community, but it means that maybe one day a week, you opt out of the community thing that normally goes on, mm-hmm. whether that is the group chat, whether that is um, tea, breakfast tea with mom and grandma, like whatever it is, you you opt out of that for a moment and you choose to spend that time with yourself. So you get the space to really reflect, to be reflective, and you are intentionally taking a step back from that energy. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Right? Um, and then I always say, you you get to ask yourself, what do I want continuously? What do I want? Like, what do I want in a very open honest, vulnerable, real, raw way. What do I want? Even if I'm afraid of it, Mm -hmm. what do I want, right? I want to be loved by a strong, masculine man 
who is willing to be the the provider, who is going to uh, protect me and the family, who's bringing a certain level of provision and intelligence and a certain level of leadership that I would like to follow, Mm -hmm. right, in this space. And I want to have deep passion and I want to have good sex and I want us to have great conversations about different subjects. And so when you are able to do that, like really get open about what you want, now you can start acting in accordance with that. And it'll be easier to step back from the things that are not in alignment with what you really want. Like you can go along with the gossip train, yes, all the drama and all the trauma, because I'm not being honest about me wanting something else. So yes, this is where we're here and it deflects and distracts from what you really want. But once you are open and honest with yourself, there's no going back. That is the truth. I'm yes. a living witness to that. <laughs> Same here. Um, okay, so let's, you you went, you've learned all these powerful lessons, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm, I'm sure are incorporated into the work that you do today. Yes. You've built this enterprise from like, that first year where you were, you know, pushing your book and speaking for for free to now having coached hundreds of women, mm-hmm. what are the offerings that you have today? So as I said earlier, right, it is about mastering self-care mm-hmm. and mastering healthy relationships. So I offer both online and in-person coaching on a one-on-one basis where I work with private clients um, who are all over the country. I do group coachings. I have a signature group coaching program, which is really powerful because there's something about the community, Mm -hmm. right? When it's done well and done right. And that sisterhood and support that women get in that space. So you know that you're not alone. It's not just you. And you're able to get the guidance from me, from the professional, but you also have other women who are there who may be unlike the other women you're used to. Mm -hmm. So it helps you to change the narrative a little bit quicker. Um, And then I also partner with organizations, um, the Board of Education before, Newark Trust for Education, some of the colleges here, Mega Evers, where I facilitate with large scale groups okay. as far as self-care, healthy relationships, toxic relationships, et cetera. That is amazing. So, um, and, and I say it's amazing because not only are you doing great work, but there are so many people who are calling themselves coaches these days. Mm-hmm. And their narrative is just so trite and, you know, kind of rehashed cliches. Um, We've already established you drop a lot of gems, but (laughs) you've you've lived it and you've done the work to be able to speak intelligently about it and offer um, not only the inspiration, but the tactical information Mm -hmm. as well. What would you say to the person who just switching now to like the behind the scenes business side of things, the person who's like, I want to do this. I I have a story. I want to coach. How do I make this? my thing, my main thing, what would you say to them? Well, where do you want to make an impact? Mm -hmm. First of all, right? Because of course we all want the income and people start to do things because you think it will make you money. Yes. But two things, your reputation precedes revenue. So it's going to be a process of building a reputation and building a brand and building social proof and all of those things. So you want to be prepared for the journey, right? You want to have a realistic idea of what that is going to look like. And then if you want to run a business, you need to have some business information. Um, You can hire a business coach or Mm -hmm. a business mentor or take a business course. But I think that it's important that you prepare yourself for what happens behind the scenes because potentially the thing that you want to do is something you are either already good at or you're excited about learning how to do it. So start with learning some of the things that you're not good at, right? So that when you get to a point in the space where you're doing the thing that you're good at, but you're having 
issues with the technical stuff or the money is not coming in, that you don't just give up on that whole thing. So I would say you want to be holistic in your approach, right? It is a business. Yes. It is a business. And so learn what you need to learn on the back end as far as creating a business. I think that many people start doing business, right? But they're not really in business. Yes. And it's important for you to be in business and have the paperwork in place and have the um, your company formed appropriately and those things so that that doesn't come back to bite you later on. That's good. Start there. That's very good. So where can people find you online who may just want to hear more mm-hmm. nuggets or work with you possibly? Where can they find you? So, of course, on my website, philaantwine.com, and that's phyla, F-I-L-A, antwine, A-N-T-W-I-N-E, dot com. But also... Even more than websites now, I think it's all about social proof. Mm -hmm. So I am across all social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at she is Phyla. I started to film um, IGTV on Instagram. It's like a competitor to YouTube or that kind of thing. So I have videos. I have all sorts of free content. Um, Interestingly enough, with this conversation, I am doing a, a free webinar series now where I'm talking about how I went from heartbreak to husband in seven days. So it's my story in the space of me dealing with certain things, literally meeting my husband seven days from the day I decided I deserved something better and yes. believed it. And then how all of this came to be and came about. So yes, philaantwine.com and at she is Phyla on all social platforms. Well, you did it again. You did it did again in part, in part two. You brought the heat. Thank you for coming back. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. And you're speaking to topics and subject matters that are close to my heart. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why we do this show, because we want people to be extraordinary in every area. And that includes my sisters uh, feeling that they are enough and that they can thrive in life and their work and in love as well. Mm -hmm. And your story has been an inspiration to me as well as being educational. And I just thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for being so open. Absolutely. So for those of you who are listening, make sure you check out Phyla's work. She is Phyla. She said it. Go check her out. Follow her. She's dropping gems just like she (laughs) did on these two episodes. Check out her website. And especially if you're looking to go deeper into the coaching world, I've I've looked looked them up. She's got some great offerings. And as always, remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, all that great stuff with this podcast. And do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.